Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. So I don't know if you remember the time when coffee shops were a place that you hung out in. Um, they still exist, some of them, um, but there was that time for many of us where like, you could actually just go and get a drink somewhere and kind of sit, you could work, you could talk with people, that happened, you know, like, and maybe we'll get back there soon, um, but I used to do that a lot, especially in the early days of church planting, I'd always try and work in public spaces, not knowing who I might meet, who I might talk with what conversation or doors might open. And I remember repeatedly meeting in this coffee, or just meeting in this coffee shop, talking with others, doing some work, even having meetings there with people. And I met this guy. Um, and we started talking. And pretty soon it came out who I am, what I'm doing. And um, we talked about life. We talked about um, Jesus. We talked about a variety of different approaches to spirituality. And um, he is sort of like a life coach therapist. Um, I don't know if he has licensing, but, but he has an approach to life that is called non-aggression. Um, he is incredibly concerned with any kind of aggressive behavior and thinks the world would be a better place if we could completely remove any type of aggression. In other words, he would start talking about kindness as the most important value, the principle on which all lives should be built, if, if we were, as a society, perhaps more kind, the world could be made right. And now, I, he probably didn't draw his philosophy from Sesame Street, but there, there is that, you know, like, kindness makes the world go round, kindness makes the world a better place. And to some extent, he's right. When people are kind, things do go better rather than if they're mean or if they're violent, inconsiderate. But the more and more I talked things out with him, and even the more um, that I talked about Jesus with him, it became pretty clear that he was stuck in and had a firm answer to his question of what will put the world to rights. And for him, it was kindness. Interestingly, Jesus has another answer. What will put the world to rights? What will make things right? For Jesus, there's actually need for the cross, which is an incredibly ugly and unkind event. There was need in his mind for the cross because what, what needed to happen for the world to be made right was not merely a little shift in how we operate so that, such that we are nicer to one another. When it comes to Jesus, he's pretty clear that what's needed is an overhaul of the whole system. What's needed is things flipped on their heads, almost this great reversal, such that the answer of what will put the world to rights and then the answer of what will make me right before a good and righteous God is one and the same. That path had to go through the cross, such that the hope for our broken world was the cross, such that the hope for a wayward son or daughter, a hope for a judgmental or righteous son or daughter is the cross. We need the reversal of the cross. 
to make things right. You know, our language still whispers that this is the case. We might identify the problems as not that big, but maybe in a week like this, the problems seem incredibly big. But our language still whispers the case because when we sort of try and redouble our efforts to make things better, it's clear that some wrongs need to be made right, right? Some that evil needs to be made good. There's something about a sinner that needs to be made into a saint. There's a reversal of things that must happen in order for things to be right. And so what I want to do is reflect on this chapter and show you the king's reversal. Jesus comes in all of these stories. If you look at the the core of them, starting in verse 35, you'll see a flip of how things normally operate. And then that theme ripples all the way through the rest of the stories and chapters, connecting them all and sort of telling a cohesive story of what's going on, okay? So go with me to verse 35 of chapter 10. If you've got a Bible or you've got a phone, open it up. I want you to meet me there in the passage of the Bible, okay? Look with me at this. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's, that's, that's an ask right there. Um, whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want for me to do to you, for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But To sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What would it take to put the world to rights? For James and John, it was going to mean power. Like, they thought Jesus talking about, yeah, yeah, it's going to be rough in Jerusalem. We might have a little skirmish here and there, but Jesus is going to come out on top. And when he comes out on top, I want to be sitting next to him. That's the way they're approaching this. Like Jesus has warned them repeatedly, hey, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to reject me and kill me. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And James and John are like, yeah, 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 whatever. But when we get there, right, that seat, that, that seat, we want to be with you. Their approach still has not shifted They haven't quite grasped what Jesus has been teaching. Because the gospel of the kingdom, when it comes, it turns things upside down. And what they think to be greatness is actually not. And what they think to be humility is actually what they need. 
there's a reversal of greatness here. Where Jesus is saying, to be great means to serve others. It does not mean to sit and be served by all, but it means to give yourself in service to others. This is the lesson that they must get if they're to follow the way of Jesus. This is the lesson that he is going to play out in his life powerfully for them such that they can understand it as he goes to the cross. But I want you to see the pattern here for them. If you look at verse 32 through 34, you have again Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection. This is 32. And, And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was supposed to happen, saying, see, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Jesus warns about his coming death. That's happened three times already. This is the third time. And then the response is the disciples don't believe him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when we come in your glory, like when you, when you come and set up shop, right hand and left, They don't believe what he's saying. And then, even though they don't believe what he's saying, he calls them to him. Look at verse 41. 41, it says, and when the ten heard it, they became indignant, right? So Jesus says, Jesus calls them in 42 to him and says, let me explain something to you again. So Jesus predicts his death, his resurrection. The disciples don't believe it, say something kind of dumb, but we would say it too. And then he says, come on back. Let's talk about this again. And then he challenges them to follow. On repeat over the last few chapters, suffering predicted. Disciples don't get it. Jesus calls them, and then he challenges them to follow. Do you see the reversal that happens at the end of the chapter? This is verse 46. So they came to Jericho. Not a, it is a new scene, but it's not a new, it's not a new theme. And he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a, great, and a great crowd. And Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting outside by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But, the cry, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man to him, saying, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up to come to Jesus. And he said to him, What's Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? Sound familiar? What do the disciples come and say? James and John. Will you do anything we ask of you? What do you want me to do for you? What do they ask? They ask for power. They ask for glory. Jesus comes to the blind Bartimaeus and says, what do you want for me to do to you, do for you? And, and here's what he says. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. This is not accidental, right? This is not accidental. They're asking the same, they're asked the same question, and they respond how? 
completely differently. Right? Unlike James and John, who say, give me this, blind Bartimaeus is saying, show me this, help me see, so that I can even then follow. The response that Bartimaeus has is the challenge to the disciples. Who, who would they, how would they have received this? Would they have wanted this guy in their traveling party? Would they even have received him? They'd be trying to get him to be quiet and not even come. Finally, Jesus comes and deals with this man, heals him. And what does Bartimaeus do? Immediately, he recovers his sight and follows him along the way. There it is. Suffering, death, resurrection, predicted, unbelieving disciples, stumbling, Jesus calling all and then charging all to follow him. He's teaching them. Even through all these experiences, he's teaching them that to follow him and to walk the the road to the cross, to, to live in his kingdom requires the great reversal of all things. I want to show you it. I've introduced you a bit to this reversal that the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? That the great among you is the one who serves. But let's look at a couple of them in this chapter, right? You have this constant theme of children woven in through this chapter because children were the last in that society. They were unimportant. They were not to be interrupting someone who was important. But Jesus welcomes children into his presence, takes them into his arms, blesses them. The last shall be first. The servant is the great one. And children are the model. The first flip is that. The last shall be first. The second is that the law is actually love. What sense does divorce, what sense does the teaching of Moses have in this passage? Is it just sort of out of the blue? Well, one, they're trying to catch him. Likely they're trying to catch him because he's doing ministry in the same geographic area as John the Baptist and the one same area that Elijah was doing ministry back when he did ministry. So Jesus is in a really interesting spot geographically, and then as he's teaching, these Pharisees are coming, hey, how do we get rid of this guy? What if we just see if we can get him to go the same road as John the Baptist? He could pick a fight with Herod over the idea of divorce and remarriage because Herod was the one who took his own brother's wife and said, I want her, and so I'm going to make this new marriage, even though John the Baptist spoke out about it. But if Jesus can take that bait and then speak out about it again, then maybe we can catch Jesus. Because we all know what happened to John. But Jesus is savvy. Jesus is so, so smart. He answers their question, but doesn't play their games. And instead, he points to the purpose of the law, which we often experience as binding on us constricting on us, clamping us. And Jesus says, no, no, the law is actually given by God in love, showing forth the design of how things are made, even in his teaching on divorce and marriage. Where does Jesus go back to? He goes back to creation. He goes back to God's design for two to become one. And I know, listen, even as I say that, there are people in this room, there are people in our church that have much heartbreak and wounds when it comes to marriage. This is not a simple issue. 
And this is by no means Jesus' exhaustive teaching on marriage. But it does point to that God's design is the gift of love, but we often receive it as the opposite. But he's saying, here, my design is to give you something in love. One that will show the Lord's devotion to you. And then reflect the kind of devotion that a husband and wife should have to one another. What's happening here, of course, for the Pharisees is that they wanted a way out of their practice of marriage. And Moses gave them permission to write. So a complicated procedure to write something so that in a scenario where it was needed, divorce could happen. But Jesus says that, that wasn't God's design because the way that Jewish men had been using that practice was to exploit and then to harm women. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I care about the least. The flip is not, let's make a permissible way for men to get what they want in a society that was dominated by men, and Moses will make an exception for you to write that note and move on. No. That makes women in that society vulnerable. And Jesus says that was not God's design. Marriage by design was to make a wife, a woman, protected, loved, not written off. And so Jesus says, let's go back to the design where God's heart was love, not making an exception for the rule. And then, of course, we have to lose your life, you'll save it. Reversal. We have the blind getting sight. Reversal. We have the contrast. Did you notice? between blind Bartimaeus, this poor beggar of a man, and the rich young ruler coming to Jesus, asking how he can get eternal life. Who ends up following? Reversal. Why? The disciples thought the money was the marker of success. They thought that the money was God's favor. I thought that if the money and, and, and the wealthy couldn't get into the kingdom, who could possibly get in? And Jesus is saying, I'll show you. Here's a child. The child, the one who receives me like a child. The contrast of the poor and the rich, the needy and the strong. Jesus is flipping all things on their heads, explaining that the kingdom works differently at a fundamental level from the ways of the world. And so what's needed, of course, then, is not just sort of a shift in how we do things. What's needed is not sort of like a new version of what we already have. What's needed is a completely different operating system, a whole new way of being, a whole different set of values, a complete flip, because what's wrong with the world is not that things are just tainted or stained, slightly discolored, but that they are corrupted all the way through to the core. Jesus sees the problem for what it is, one that requires the great reversal, and he then comes bringing a reversal like we could have never imagined, that the king of all kings, that the creator of all that exists, that the one who upholds the world by his power would release it and die. 
turning things on their head such that things could be turned and made right again. This is the essence of the gospel. That you, when you come to Jesus because he came to the cross, you, when you come to Jesus because he chose to serve, not be served, you, when you come to Jesus, can trade your sin for his righteousness. Reversal. You could come flawed, broken, sinful, rebellious, self-righteous, and trade your sin for his righteousness, reversing your standing. This is the good news of the gospel, that you can trade your self-interest for service. You can come needy, and it be all about you. I've come there. I've done that. And you can have the Lord work by grace of flipping you such that all you could see is you and then all, all of a sudden the periphery opens up such that you could see others. You can come and you can trade your judgment for compassion. The disciples so quick to judge, so quick to rule out. Jesus so full of compassion, so full of love for others. Trade it can come and trade your pride for humility. So let me ask this of you. Who's one person that you could live this out this week with? Who is one person you could choose to serve? Not to be served by, but you could choose to serve. And in our time of response today, I challenge you just to name that person, pray for that person. And then to when you pray for that person, pray for the person you don't know yet who you're going to be asked to serve. Who's the Lord going to place in your life? It might be somebody you already know. And you're going to be asked this week to serve, to give rather than receive. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's a housemate. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. But somebody is going to come into your life this week, and I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit is going to whisper to you, serve this person. Pray that you'd have eyes to see, rather than demand to see, have a seat with Jesus, to walk with him in service of others.